1: Company present this podcast
0: in immersive sound design.
2: Welcome to the Breaking Anonymity Podcast. My name is MC Search.
0: And I'm Kyle Eustace.
2: And this podcast is dedicated to relieving the stigma of recovery, we talk to recovering addicts who have shared or decided to share their experience, strength, and hope with us. Uh, And just to be clear, we are not connected with any specific anonymous program. This is about talking about recovery, talking about highs of highs, lows of lows, and getting to redemption and finding ways to break the bonds of addiction uh kyle we have a, an amazing guest with us who's going to share his experience strength and hope with us
0: we sure do so this is proud bronx native joe Conzo, aka joey kane aka joey snaps and who was behind the lens as hip-hop was just beginning to crawl earning him the nickname the man who took hip-hop's baby pictures his first book, Born in the Bronx, the visual record of the early days of hip hop, contains many of those photos and recently received a brand new merch capsule featuring t-shirts, hoodies, and signed copies. But beyond photography, Joe is an accomplished emergency medical technician. He received his certification as a medical nurse and later joined the New York Fire Department as an EMT, a job that would take him to the World Trade Center on the morning of September 11th, 2001, a day that certainly none of us will forget. Um, And I'm absolutely blown away by your story. Um, I'll let you tell it, but um, you're also a cancer survivor and you're kicking ass right now. And ladies and gentlemen, Joe Gonzo.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Search. Much respect. Kylie, thank you so much. And um, yeah, um, I've been blessed. Uh, Where do I begin? You know, that cycle of addiction was prevalent in my family growing up. My dad was a a heroin addict. And as a child, I remember having these recurrent dreams of him bringing me to shooting galleries and just having this recurring dream of him putting medicine into his arm as he described it. And me growing up in the South Bronx where where drugs, you know, were were prevalent, swore, I'm never gonna get into drugs. Swore up and down, seeing what it did to my family, with my dad you know and and when you get into that age of exploring you smoke your first joint and it's just for recreational to be down with you know whoever you're hanging with at the time just seeing what drugs had did to to my family as a whole I swore up and down that I wouldn't repeat the cycle I would break the cycle so to speak being that inquisitive teenager you know you 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 smoke your first joint you 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 have your first little drink of uh uh mr boston blackberry brandy you know what i mean and back then it was old english and uh uh ripple ripple i mean all the stuff you know it, it, it would take seven guys to get to chip in $5 just to get a blackberry brandy on a Friday night. You know what I mean? And, you know, another $3 for a trade bag and stuff. And, you know, we hang out in the hallways during the winter because it was cold and we'd slip on, you know, sip on some blackberry brandy and smoke a trade bag that you got 10 joints out of. But I swore I, I, I'd never become my dad. And unbeknownst to me, when I experienced death, for the very first time in my life, and that was the death of my grandmother, who is the matriarch of my family. I experienced a pain that I had never, ever, ever in my life experienced. And guess what I did? I turned to drugs to mask that feeling. Because up until then, smoking a joint, I I wasn't even a beer drinker. I didn't, you know, was just a recreational thing you know what i mean i was a, a functioning addict so to speak and i turned to drugs to mask a pain that i had never experienced before and that was the tipping point for me so it went from marijuana to dropping acid Snoopy's, i was you know you name it Popol A's, sniffing heroin sniffing cocaine and it just snowballed and just built into this addiction where when I wanted to escape, drugs were my escape. And next thing you knew, physically, I'm addicted to heroin now. Well, let's back up. Physically, I'm addicted to smoking. It was called freebasing before it was called crack. So, you know, we do the little dime bags, going out, the pioneers, myself, and it just grew. It grew and grew and grew to the point where I became homeless. I sold off all my camera equipment, was living in the streets. I, I'm the first one to admit, I, I was too afraid to to rob and steal from anybody, but I robbed and stole from my family, which hurt even more. And I was in and out in and out of methadone programs. Uh, drug treatment facilities, because you have to understand something. My family was huge proponent into drug rehabs. My mother opened up the first drug rehab for women with children in the nation because she found out that if a mother and a child wanted to go into a rehab, that child would have to go into the system, into foster care, and God knows. And how do you expect a woman to to get her life together, knowing that her children are in foster care or, or in another home? So she opened up the first drug rehab for women with children to keep that family unity together. Okay. So, and this is before Mother Hale, who's known in Harlem and all of that. And. She used to tell me, my mother, may she rest in peace, that she based her program on her wheelings and dealings with me. <laughs> because I came up with some doozies <laughs> just to get high. It's good to to look back and laugh at it now because um my trials and tribulations made me into the man that I am I am today. And you know, I, I'm I'm thirty years Clean and serene, you know, as of last week. It's just, I, I remember one, just one quick story it's sitting in the living room, Jones, and I had a $200 a day, you know, heroin, cocaine habit. You know, they used to call me Speedball Joe i would not do one without the other i needed that up and down roller coaster i didn't like the nodding and i didn't like the, the 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 like the sweating running bouncing off the walls i needed that up and down that up and down so speedballing was my thing but i remember sitting one time in my mother's living room because i had no nowhere else to stay and the vcr is talking to me joe joe <laughs> I take that VCR, put it in the garbage. Mom, I'm throwing out the garbage. Go outside, go get my fix. I come back and my mother's like, where's the VCR? I'm like, I don't know. It was there when I left. And it was just a a buildup of just bullshit that was going on. And my mother threw me out in the middle of the winter. And it was the best thing she ever did for me. I mean, granted, up until that point, I had, my mother sent me to the south of France to a drug commune to live for six months. I lived for six months on a drug commune in in Toulouse, France, where people from all over the world came to get off of drugs. And out in Europe during that time, we're talking late eighties, they used what's called a tisana, a tea. And you drink this fucking nasty ash tea six, seven times a day and it would actually detox you. They didn't believe in methadone. They didn't believe in pills. They didn't believe in any of that shit, herbal tea. And, you know, a week later, I was detoxed. But after six months of living in Europe, I grew this S on my chest, I'm Superman, I've been drug free, I wanna leave. And I'm like, nope. So I literally escaped this drug commune in, in France, knocked on the embassy door, the, the American embassy door and said, listen, I'm an American I need to get back home. And they put me up in a hostel for two weeks, got my passport back from this place that I was staying at and uh, came home. Swore up and down to my mother that I'm I'm doing good, this, that, and the other. And um, that lasted a week, and I was off to the races. My bottom for me was getting arrested and spending 24 hours in central booking kicking a $200 day uh, heroin and cocaine habit. That was my bottom. Jail scared the shit out of me. It literally scared the shit out of me. I had no record was facing God knows how many felony charges. And the judge cut me a break. He mandated me to a drug rehab, did 18 months. But what I found out in this rehab was that I wasn't alone. The person sitting to the left and to the right of me all had, if not the same, similar story that I had. And that blew me away. Because when you're an addict, and you're out in the street and you haven't found the rooms yet, you haven't found recovery, you're by yourself. You think you're the only one going through this battle. Sitting in this rehab, and mind you, this is like my fifth rehab. Sitting there, hearing these stories up in the mountains in Ellenville, New York, you know, 80 miles away from New York City, was just liberating. I was able to get rid of this baggage that I was carrying around for so many years during my addiction. That cycle that I had mentioned earlier about my dad bringing me to a shooting gallery, I was doing that with my newborn, my one-year-old, two-year-old son. And that was baggage that I was carrying around with me. To the death of my grandmother, the matriarch of the family, the divorce of my parents, my father Joe Conzo Sr., who is a world-renowned Latin uh, Latin historic, Latin music historian, you know, who's got more cleaning time than I do, than I do, because he, you know, he came up during the Rockefeller era, where uh, there was no regulation on methadone. So you know, he uh, when he got off the drugs, he, it was through methadone, and it made him sterile. So I'm the last. My brother and I are the last of his kids. It, it was just a liberating feeling to find out that I wasn't alone. And I worked the rooms diligently. I still have my my little keychains from 30 years ago. Your 30 days, your 60 days, 90 days. You know, all all of them. It just made me a better person, a better, better person. The 12 steps made me a better person. And I'll say this loud and clear and shout it out my window. If half the world (laughs) would live by some of the steps, this would be such a better world to live in. I have no problem in sharing my story today, and that's how Kylie found out I I shared it the other day you know when when I shared 30 years clean and serene things are different today drugs are seen as a disease now addiction is perceived as a disease now when I was addicted to drugs it was I mean frowned upon you were locked up thrown in jail I mean the whole nine yards I mean it's like you were a leopard Today, they're a little bit more sympathetic with, with people in addiction. And it's, and it's a shame how the people that are in power don't realize the harm that they're doing. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in education before incarceration, bottom line. Education before medication, bottom line. To, to see this op- opioid addiction go on you know when it was going on or heroin was you know abuse and crack epidemic and all that you know the people in power didn't give two shits about the people in the bronx but when it hit middle america then it was a problem you know and it's a shame that it's it's always about money it's always about always about money 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 big pharma making money you know it's a shame i'm just blessed that I've been able to recover from my addiction. I'm still not perfect. I'm still working on me every fucking day. But I can tell you I haven't jabbed a needle or snorted anything in over 30 years. I may not work the program as diligently as I did in the beginning. But I'm more secure in my recovery today with 30 years under my belt than I was in the beginning. And that's just me. That's just me. The rooms were phenomenal for me, whether they were AA or NA. I worked the program like nobody else did, and I'm so grateful for that. It has brought me to where I am today, where I'm speaking to you guys, where I have taken my love and passion of photography all over the world, where I can put on a suit and tie and go toe-to-toe with the governor of New York as a union labor leader before I retired from the fire department. So, And I attribute that to my recovery in the rooms and and my, my program in the 12 steps. And it has given me the strength to deal with liver cancer, deal with pancreatic cancer, deal with death, which was my biggest set off growing up. Um, I just found out today a co-worker passed away. I said a prayer and I, I, I keep it moving. I keep it moving. I keep it moving. And I have no problem in breaking, and it's not even breaking my anonymity. I have no problem with sharing my story. You know, I won't break somebody else's anonymity, but you know, times have changed. There's platforms now where you don't have to hide in these meetings. You don't have to hide. You can share on a platform like we're doing now that, yes, I was homeless. Yes, I sold my body on the street to get high. Yes, I stole shit from my parents and my family to get high. But I'm here. And in recovery, This Puerto Rican kid from the South Bronx has been all over the fucking world because of his love and passion of photography. This Puerto Rican kid from the South Bronx has saved lives and delivered babies in his 27 year career as an EMT, you know, with the New York City Fire Department. And this Puerto Rican kid from the South Bronx just celebrated 22 years of marriage to the most beautiful woman in the world. And I'm grateful. I don't suggest everybody walk in my shoes to get to where I'm at, but there is hope out there. There is hope. Today, you can go down to Prospect Avenue, on 56th Street, and see a mother and children's building named after my mother, the Lorraine Montenegro Women's and Children's Program, and get help. And I'm very proud of that. And if I could share my story and reach one person, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Just reaching one person. And thank you for allowing me to share my life. <laughs> my <laughs> no, that
2: thank you, thank you. Wonderful. That was wonderful. Amazing, amazing.
0: Congratulations on those 30 years. I mean, as soon as I saw your Instagram post, I was like, oh my gosh, like we have to talk to Joe. I mean, it's just incredible. And, you know, we talked in, I think 2019 when you were going through chemo and the positivity and the strength that you exhibited during that time was nothing short of inspirational to me. Um, To see you going through all that and still maintain your recovery, maintain your, you know, positive attitude. I think it was really huge. And I was kind of curious, you know, um how did recovery kind of prepare you for that news because i can't imagine that moment you know when you're told look you know you have cancer you know recovery prepares you for life
1: Mm -hmm. life period you know from a flat tire to a man you got cancer (laughs) you know what Mm -hmm. i mean Mm -hmm. that's that's what recovery is about. It, it it gives you the strength. You know, the serenity of prayer. I say that two or three times a day. Facts. A day. Facts. You know? <laughs> a day. Yeah. I mean, and that yeah. gives me such clarity. Such clarity. You know? Um, but it was, it was earth shattering. It really was. Because mm-hmm. up until that time, I had been... The advocate or spokesperson for the fire department right after 9-11, I became the the poster child advocating and and spreading the word that, you know, we're going to see this happen 10, 15, 20 years from now. People are going to get sick and die. And, you know, you can go online see me, you know, in posters. And, you know, I've been to the White House, you know, advocating for the... World Trade Center Registry and the Victim Compensation Fund and, and all of those things. And I never in a million years thought I'd be using those services myself. But um, it was devastating, earth shattering news and through you know through the love and, and support of first and foremost my wife and my family and, and friends and, and it just, you know, almost prepared you for okay all right motherfucker let's go you want to dance let's dance you know there's nothing else i can do you're in me you know let's 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 do this Mm. let's do this and you know it's an everyday struggle so to speak but it's a good struggle it's a good struggle
2: there are uh, certain times in, in, in addicts' life where they set up reservations, right? Like, oh, if this happens, I'm definitely going to use. If that happens, I'm definitely <laughs> going to use. You know, if, uh, but I got to believe that um, 9-11 was certainly one of those moments where uh, it tested your fortitude. Um, I wanted to ask you, how did the steps help you with that, you know, the dealing, not only with that amount of death, but dealing with the amount of loss, not only of your brothers and sisters in the department, but just that amount of loss uh, in terms of human life and what New York went through during that time.
1: Serge, let me tell you
2: something. Um,
1: being an EMT or paramedic, you know, we're adrenaline junkies. You know, addicts, we, uh, we tend to substitute we get off of the drugs that put us where we where we got. Always. <laughs> we, we tend to substitute and, and being an and, and EMT was my substitution. Being that adrenaline junkie, you know, racing up and down the streets, lights and sirens, motherfucker get out of my way. <laughs> you know, so that was my substitution for but um, you know, in hindsight, you look back, and you know I'll tell you a quick story. You know, we we you know as an AMT, we we monitor the police radios, and that's where the good jobs come in first because you hear them first. And when we heard the first plane into into the towers, you know, like you have to be there, gotta be there, you know. And then the second plane hit, and it was like, what the fuck's going on? You know, I'm not trained for terrorism. You know, because now the word terrorism is coming up. I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> terrorism doesn't exist in the Bronx, you know. And I actually thought about crashing my ambulance in, into a wall and not going down there. But my, wow. partner and I, my partner and I said, Joe, we have to. We have to. We have to. And getting down there and being one of the first ambulances down there was just a... Uh, it's just crazy uh you know first thing you know you do is you look for that higher officer and we we found the higher officer and first thing he told us was put on your helmets and don't look up Like, okay what do you mean don't look up people were jumping people were jumping from 110 stories and literally disintegrating hitting the ground and you know it was just you know gathering your, your strength into Okay, we're here for a reason. Let's do it. Not knowing that 20 minutes later I'd be buried alive because the North Tower fell down and buried me. Wow. Um, And, you know, digging myself out and and just dealing with the death and destruction, you know, thank God I had some sort of uh, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? foundation foundation where i didn't turn to substances to 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 run or hide from the pain that i was feeling you know i did two years of uh uh, of therapy for ptsd
0: you know, they call this a family disease. And I know you mentioned like you had you didn't rob or steal from strangers, but you ended up, you know, affecting your family pretty severely. Um, how how did uh, making amends go for you? Were you able to patch up those relationships? And-
1: my, my biggest enabler was my mother. Even with her drug program, she's running, she was my biggest enabler until this woman Naomi um, had to pull it to her side and said, you see that kid over there? That's not your son. That is a drug addict. That is your son. That That is not your son. Mm. And she literally, you know, like I stated earlier, had to throw me out in the middle of winter. And it was the best thing she ever did for me in hindsight. And I, and I shared that with her and we've joked about it you know, many times over the years, but, um, you know, making amends was, was, was difficult. I, I'm the oldest out of five brothers and sisters. Okay. Um, big family. And I had to go to each and every one of them and, and pretty much (sighs) make words are cheap. You have to show them, you know? So, When I got clean, when I was making meetings, I got hired by the city, I started working, I got my own apartment, they saw the progression. And little by little, those doors opened back up where, okay, big brother, here's the embrace, we forgive you. And, you know, in some sort of way, I'm still making amends because, you know, I don't think you ever really come full circle in terms of making amends, so to speak. You know, during my cancer uh, trials, you know, I was on some heavy duty meds, so you know, you get the little, the little Joe. Be careful, Joe. Are you taking your medication the way you're supposed to be? This that, and, the other? and I don't take offense to that. I don't. I just take that as love, and that my family still cares. Um, I'm still trying to break the cycle. I have a 33 year old son who's presently incarcerated because mm-hmm. of of narcotics. Um, Sorry to hear that. He's been in and out of jail for the last 10, 15 years. Um, And because of my foundation, you know, I used to beat myself up all the time. And, you know, I don't anymore because he is on his own road and his own path. And he knows my story or our story, father and son, so to speak. Um, He just hasn't found it yet. And it breaks my heart. It really does. It breaks my heart because you don't want your kids to go through what you've gone through. My father told me that too. You know, I didn't get to know my father until I was 13, 14 years old because he was trying to find himself and get clean himself. And now, you know, we're two peds in the pods, you know, Um, but it's, you know, it's part of life it's, it's, it, you know, it's part of life and, you know, I just come, you know, everybody has some sort of dysfunctional family member or family, whatever. And, you know, it's just, you know, it doesn't have to be. And again, I'll come back to, if it wasn't for NA and the rooms, I don't know if we'd be speaking here today because Mm -hmm. that has given me the strength to a deal with death, deal with 9-11, deal with cancer, deal with divorce, deal with so many different things Mm -hmm. in life. And my mother always told me that, you know, you're going to get thrown hurdles in life no matter what. And what you got to pray for is just time in between them to deal with them. You know, something might happen tomorrow that would would set anybody off. But you got to just say that serenity prayer and ask God to give you time to deal with it and you'll deal with it and move on to the next hurdle. I mean, listen, you know, two days before Christmas, you know, half my building got 90, 90 day vacate notices, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. And I'm like, Motherfucker, I've been here 25 fucking years.
0: (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere.
1: You know, and, you know, again, I know I've lived in a cooperative building for 25 years because it's just a great building. You know, I actually have two apartments here. And, but, you know, the new owner that brought the building in November decided to kick everybody out. And I'm like, all right, motherfucker, let's deal. Wow! I reached reached out to all the politicians and news media and this and the other and uh, shamed them and and fought the good fight. (laughs) And, you know, now we're the best friends. Now we're the best of friends. Good for you. And nobody has to leave. But it's just that foundation and search, getting back to reservations, you know, uh, I'm past that. You know what I mean? I'm past that. In the beginning, yeah. You know, people, especially in, in my circle of NA, we used to buy a lot of gold, you know. You know, and it's like, why are you buying all that gold? So the next time you go out, you know, you've got that gold you could pawn and this, that, and the other. You know what I mean? But um, it's just that, you know, uh, with what I've been to in life, uh, I can honestly say <laughs> I'll never pick up a needle or a bag of whatever again, you know, honestly say. I,
0: I might have mentioned this to you, Joe, um, when we were talking back in 2019, but I lost my mom. I faced one of my biggest hurdles in May 2019 when my mom passed away suddenly from cancer. And I'm so um sorry. Thank you. Um, I... Was so grateful, though, that she saw me clean and sober for 10 years. And not just that, but like thriving and happy and married and, you know, doing all the things I'm doing. And I don't think I could have handled it as well had I not shown her that prior. You know what I mean? So, I hope you know you you probably got to show that to your mom right like before oh, you yeah. passed, or oh, yeah. she passed. Oh yeah,
1: my my mom's passed away three years ago in mm. in Puerto Rico during Hurricane Maria. She was wow. there on vacation.
0: Get out!
1: Uh, and when Hurricane Maria hit, or it was Irma, and then mm. a week later Maria hit, we tried to get her home before Maria. But they shut down everything, and uh, we didn't hear from her for for eight days. And when we finally heard from her, it was a, a rock-steady brother of mine, uh, John C. Gonzalez, who was on the island and, and sent me a little video of her. And she's like, I'm okay, I'm okay. just we don't have any electricity, no water, no nothing. And then we got a call the next day that she was in the hospital nine years – nine hours later she she died and it actually took me a week to get her body back to the what, states
0: what happened what was the day I, I mean listen
1: you know uh, uh she was a young 74 year old woman with no real underlying medical conditions but i can imagine anybody going through those conditions you know, I mean, there was no electricity for months, no running water, no anything. You know, the administration at the time just, you know, fucked up everything in terms of recovery efforts over there. And it took a toll on her. It took a toll on her. And, you know, it. listen, if that didn't make me pick up. Right. You know. But I was grateful that she got to see me grow into the person who I am, Mm -hmm. knowing how much I put her through. Same, you know, and that to me is just so. I only, I wish my grandmother was around because I put my grandmother to a lot also, but she unfortunately she died in 1984, and um, that's. Did you
0: apologize to your mom a bunch? Oh, even if I until- would like, I swear to God, every time I saw my mom, I was like, Mom, I am so sorry that I did this in 1992. I'm sorry I did this in 1995. Like, it was always it an apology. It, 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 you know, I would do that, too. But
1: I got great pleasure out of doing for her, you know, like, Mom, you know let me buy you a ticket for this or let me take you out to dinner yep. let me pay this for you that to me was so making amends so to speak
0: oh yeah I acted you as a travel agent for a while I'd be like let me just book this hotel for you don't worry like I'll take care of it I, yeah. I loved being able to dote on her you know um, yeah
2: no I feel the same way I went to see my father's in hospice and I went to see him in Montana and, and it's the same thing it's like you know my balance for me is you know I get to love my father make amends with him but my program for me is meetings like the the thing that i get the most joy out of is identifying as michael an addict from far rockaway queens and not mc going search of ma- third base no definitely not definitely right not. Just, just like don't a, even care a michael a michael from you know mm-hmm. far rockaway and being welcomed but hearing the stories and hearing the similarities no matter how different the men and women are no matter how different the experiences it the are the the practicing of the principles the you know being able to support another addict in need the therapeutic va- value of one addict helping another is without parallel the all of those principles that you know, I get such uh, a great benefit from And In and, and
1: search, I, I I co-sign that a thousand percent. A thousand percent. You know what I mean? Um, I have no problem in sponsoring somebody today and have been a sponsor dozens of times. You know, I've just come to a point in my recovery where that, you know, I'm, hey, maybe this is wrong to say and I shouldn't get comfortable and I shouldn't get complacent, but I'm, I'm in a place in my life where, you know, I can pick up the phone or somebody can call me and we can share and speak and, and feed off of each other. And uh, again, you know, you it's like people have questioned me, Joe, you're not embarrassed by sharing on social media that you were homeless or like, how fucking no, how fucking no, maybe 30 years ago, it was uncalled, you know, wasn't common to walk out of a meeting, you know, and, 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 you know, scream at the top of your lungs. I'm 30 day clean, 60 day clean, this, that, and the other, because it was a different time back then, you know, uh, I used to go to NA conventions all over, you know, I was just going through a tub of old t-shirts, which by the way, I love your t-shirt Latin quarters.
2: Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I wore it for you, brother. I, I put it on. I put it on just for you. Shout out <laughs> that's to that's my that's man, my paradise. Gray. Paradise Gray. Yeah. Shout out to paradise.
1: Yeah. But, um, you know, I was looking at my old NA shirts, you know what I mean? And, you know, I'd love them and, you know, they're torn and worn and, and like, I'm not going to throw them away. You know what I mean? And, like, you know, I have NA tattooed on my arm. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's just it, it's just part of my life.
2: Yeah, it's who you are. You just mentioned all 12 steps just in what you just described. Yeah. You described the unmanageability. You described how you needed a higher power. You described amends. You described a 10th step of making, you know, checking yourself every yeah. day. And making carrying the twelve the step message. Call- and carrying mm-hmm. the message, so mm-hmm. good for you. And and I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful that you're able to share your message with us. I, you know, we we ask everyone that we interview the same thing when we close. If there's one person listening right now who doesn't know about this program, who is you know on the fence, who is using, who, whose life is out of control, and they might have some concerns or reservations about. You're going to a program and asking for help. What would you say to them? There's hope.
1: There is hope, mm-hmm. and to anybody that's listening to this to this podcast, you know, if you're that casual user on your last grain of, of 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 sanity, you know, there is hope. Reach out, get yourself into a good faith based recovery program, and, and and just let go and let God. I don't care how old you are. You know, my mother, before she passed away, she started a program for senior citizens Mm -hmm. who were addicted to drugs. And it sounds insane, but... No, it's not,
2: dude. You
1: you look at a senior citizen today collecting Social Security who has no family, no nothing, who turns to drugs because of the pain and suffering they've gone through in all their life,
2: Joe. I and, have somebody in my in my home group who's sixty eight years old, and she just that. celebrated thirty days. God bless. God bless. You know I mean, like yo, and I mean, I I didn't find recovery till I was forty four. I got nine years. So God there's bless. always there's always hope. And and mm-hmm. and please, can we have the phone number for your mom's uh, program in the Bronx? If there's people in the tri-state, um, or... it's called
1: United Bronx Parents. They can look it up on the internet. You know, I don't know the number off the top That's of my fine. head. That's okay. Um, but you know, uh listen, there's commercials now, one-eight hundred numbers, you know, just just take that leap, that one little leap of faith and call and reach out. And I promise you, I promise you, if you reach out, somebody will be there. And if you follow the basic the basic foundation of recovery, you know, the first step is the hardest step, you know, everything mm-hmm. else will follow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have else that,
0: will... I have that number for you right here. It's 718-292-9808. There you go. There you, there you go. Come.
1: But um, you know, this has been phenomenal because <laughs> Sometimes I get tired talking about my hip hop photography and all of
0: that. <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> like, I know. I just realized, like you and I have only really talked about that, or and, you know what you, you went know, through and and search, you
1: know, for you to share that with me because I had no idea. God bless you, God bless you, a for finding recovery. You know, we're gonna exchange numbers. And B, for your contributions to the culture, you know, just to Amen. Change, change the subject for a quick second. You know what well, I mean?
0: I have to thank both of you because not only are you the music side, you're the photography side. I mean, without you guys, I wouldn't be here. So I thank you so much for laying the foundation, you know. for a young omaha nebraska girl
2: (laughs) like i told you joe i got i look at your pictures every day uh and uh you are a a monument to our culture because you uh you caught it you caught it and you gave it beautiful imaging and uh listen i had no idea what i was doing back then
1: and you know uh, again, it was just a jam that we were going to. It wasn't even called hip hop back then. I was just a young kid with, with a camera. Three day hip hop. Down with the Cold Crush Brothers and the Treacherous Three, and just fortunate enough to document it because of my love and passion of photography, and you know, because of my addiction, um, I sold off all my camera equipment. But my mother, my mother, saved all my negatives.
2: No, oh, wow. thank God. And if it wasn't
1: for her, again, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you uh, about hip hop photography because she uh, she saw something and she mm-hmm. believed in me and and you know I I'm so grateful to her I mean, and to, to the rest of my family. Test. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you know it's just. But um, addiction is real. There is mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, there that you know period in the story there is hope and to anybody please hit me up on on any social media platform yeah
2: give them your Instagram give you me social
1: you know <laughs>
0: and also them tell them where they can find the new capsule collection because that's oh, what's. Inspired. okay
1: um, listen you can hit me up at uh, joconzo.com um, joconzo at Instagram joconzo at, at Facebook you know, DM me, whatever, you know, and I always, always have time for anybody that is reaching out, that is reaching out always. Because I'm a firm believer, uh, uh, a pain shared is half the pain. A joy shared is twice the joy. Amen. You know what Amen. I mean? So yes. it's just, you know, I, it, it, I'm I, here because of a reason, a purpose, you know? And if I can keep spreading the word through my photography and through my life, I'm going to keep doing it until I'm dead done. Well,
0: thank you so much for joining us, Joe. It's pleasure. Is really fun. Joey Snaps. Joey. Gonna, I'm going to call you Joey Snaps.
2: <laughs> this is the uh, Breaking Anonymity podcast with our special guest, Joe Conzo. And just remember, like this podcast and like recovery, it is one day at a time. Thanks for joining us. Check out new episodes of Breaking Anonymity every Wednesday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends and subscribe. The Breaking Anonymity podcast is a timeless podcast company production. Executive produced by Chantel Barron, Brett Epic Kyle Eustace, and Michael Barron. Produced by Kyle Eustace and Michael Barron. Sound design by Brett Epic and Nick Davila. Breaking Anonymity logo created by Paul Lukes. Sound effect voiceover by Tembisa Mashaka. If you are battling with addiction or know someone who is, please call the National Addiction Helpline. 1-800-662-4357. That's 1-800-662-4357. You do not have to battle addiction alone.